0: First thing we want to do tonight is just uh, have a word of prayer together for uh, little Joel, your mom and dad there, and just—just uh, just wisdom and—and and like I said, I think we kind of already talked about it, but he's just having a rough time for a few weeks now, and so just doesn't seem to be getting better. Um, so uh, let's let's have a word of prayer, Father. We come before you, seeking your face for uh, the health of. of little Joel, Lord God, I know that this is probably the most important thing, I know it is, the most important thing we can do is to uh, cut through to the throne of God in prayer uh, for this situation, Lord God, and our hearts go out to him and just pray that uh, he would feel better. Lord, I pray um, uh, for his mom and dad. and. just to uh, just to comfort them through uh, this difficulty, and I'm sure I know the Grims have been through quite a bit, and we've all had our situations and uh, getting through sickness, Lord, so we just, uh, again, ask that you'd work mightily, Lord, that you'd get the honor and glory for it all, and, um, and then, Father, tonight as we open up your word and we look at... Uh, the Bride of Christ, uh, the comparison, the uh, uh, what we might call the allegory of of this, and uh, that you have in your Word, and help us to uh, get something out of your Word tonight, and uh, just um, just lead, guide, and direct as you would in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Um, so yes, uh, we've been going through the metaphors, like there's. Uh, I don't know, there's all sorts of names, metaphors, uh, I I get them mixed up all the time, assimilies, you know, so um, they're calling these metaphors. The book is called Salt and Light um, for the Grim family. Um, It's done by Mark Rasmussen. So we've been kind of going through these different uh, metaphors uh, for the Christian life, and so we're on uh, the metaphor of the bride, of Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and read the text. I'm just going to have to go right through the book and uh, we'll just see how God leads through this. Um, Tim was typically going to be here uh, to, to do this. So yeah, we've got some sheets there, some pencils if you need them. You can fill out as you go along. So the text is Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 32. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Christ compares the church to a bride, a symbol of pure love. He desires that we as Christians would come to him in the same way that a bride comes to her groom, holy and without blemish. In verse 27, our proper response to our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to love him in return for his action of love on Calvary. The theme tonight is Christ, our groom, continually showers us with all-encompassing love. And as Bride, we must prepare ourselves for his coming by not having spot or wrinkle. We must keep ourselves holy while awaiting his return. So we read the text Here's the introduction. A bride is a beautiful symbol of pure love. A bride revels in giving her love to her groom and having that love returned. Our key verse compared to the church, compares the church to a bride. God, the person of love, in 1 John 4:8, and our groom has expressed his love for us in many ways. The most important being a sacrificial provision for our salvation. Our proper response to God's love is to love him in return. 1 John 4:19 reveals, "We love him because he first loved us." True love is much more than just an emotion or the way we feel. True love is much is it's a verb. Love is action. God's love for his people is indeed overwhelming. When we see his action of love, Romans 5.8, But God commended his love toward us, and while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He exhibited, he showed his love in action. Now, certain characteristics come to the forefront as we look at a bride. And then we'll begin making our outline here. First of all, is you guys get to guess close Preparation. preparation, preparation. A wedding is a glorious time and it usually involves an incredible amount of preparation for the big day. (laughs) There are so many details, decorations, travel arrangements, invitations, food, dress, etc. The author gives an illustration says, many years ago I was the best man at my friend's wedding and found myself quite unprepared. My friend had not given me enough notice of the schedule so I was unable to attend. His wedding rehearsal. This meant that I went into the ceremony not too sure of what I was supposed to do or where I was supposed to be. Even worse, while dressing for the wedding with less, than a half an, with less than an hour until the ceremony, I discovered that my rented formal wear was missing a tie. I will not tell you how fast I drove to the formal wear store and back to the church in case of the statute of limitations has not <laughs> run out, but I did make it back to the church in time and managed to get through the ceremony somehow. In spite of the lack of preparation, God is blessed. This couple recently celebrated their 25th anniversary and they have put two girls through our college. My friend and I have remained friends all those years. With the myriad of details involving in a wedding, preparation is very important. A bride wants this special day to be perfect. They never are, are they? (laughs) That's what makes them perfect. The Bible speaks of the preparation of the bride of Christ. If we love the Lord Jesus, we will want to be properly prepared when we see Him. This preparation does not happen by accident, nor can it be a hurried matter. Our preparation is Christ's bride, begins at salvation with the forgiveness of our sins and is carried forward with our surrendered, with our surrender to His will. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now I'm getting into some of Tim's notes here. He has some things underlined here. It says, we prepare for our heavenly bridegroom by daily surrendering to the work of God in our lives. It is our reasonable service to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices with no will of our own, not conforming to the standards of the world, but rather being transformed by allowing the word of God to permeate our minds and make us more and more what Christ would have us to be. So we have pres- preparation. Preparation. have to put any numbers of the heart. The the bride prepares her heart for the bridegroom. She looks forward to the wedding for many months ahead of time. She doodles as she talks on the phone. Mrs. blank. She dreams about how wonderful the marriage will be. She prepares her heart. We must prepare our hearts for the Lord with this same passion. Think about that. You know, we might just think about this. 1 Samuel 7.3 tells how Samuel asked God's people to prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. Commentator Matthew Henry explains that phrase this way. Make a solemn business of returning to God and do it with a serious consideration and a steadfast resolution. We must not come to God lightly or flippantly. We must take the matter of coming into his presence very seriously and very reverently. Now when Moses, an escaped criminal from Egypt, was on the backside of the desert tending the flocks of his father-in-law, he saw a burning bush. He went to investigate and found himself in the very presence of God. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, And said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses realized the awful solemnness of the presence of God. We need to realize who God is. And we need to realize who we are. Moses asked God, who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. David asked, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? In 2 Samuel 7, 18, Solomon asked, But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? In 1 Chronicles 29:14, So, who am I? Who am I? You know, this... I think a lot of um, getting to know God and his word is getting to know God himself and knowing who who you are puts things into perspective. So who are you? A unique creation of God. We've talked about this in Psalms 139, 14 through 16. Is that in our readings there anywhere? Okay. Uh, would somebody like to look that up and read that? Psalm 139, 14 through 16. And then if somebody would look up a Roman... Who's got that one first? You got that one. John, would you get uh, Romans 5, 12? And then um, we'll go to two other ones here. Abby, you want to get John three sixteen through 17? And then we'll stop there and then we'll, we'll get a few more verses so unique creation of god psalm 139 14 through 16. i will praise thee for i am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well my substance was not hid from thee when i was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance Fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Right. A sinner by nature and by choice, Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Okay, we're valuable to God, John 3.16-17. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, not perish for that everlasting life. For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but, the, but that the world through him can be saved. All right, so we're valuable God, and also someone God wants to use. Uh Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. Who could get that one? That one, John, you want to get Philippians 2.13? 15. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Right. Philippians two thirteen. For it is God which worketh in you both, to will and to do of His good pleasure. All right. So I mean this shouldn't be anything new to us. I've been preaching about this and how God made us each an individual. I mean, we we need to find our uh, who we are and what God made us to be. And uh, a lot of times we're just so worried about other people, and other people are just unique beings and, as well. There's nobody better than anybody else, nobody worse than anybody else. Uh, God has a purpose for us all. Uh, he, he, uh, he gave his life for us all. And, and once we learn who we are and we learn who God is, we can I think that's the key to to living life. The preparation of the heart of a believer begins with the realization of who God really is and who we really are. It's interesting he just said, I haven't read any of this. I mean, I'm just going from scratch here, but the same things that I'm thinking is, is being verified here. In the parable of the ten virgins, five prepared themselves for the coming of the groom and five did not. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Is that in your books? No. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went into him within the, the marriage, and the door was shut. And while they went to buy, The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the five virgins who did not prepare, a day came when it was just too late. They had put off the preparation too long. We too must prepare our hearts to meet the Lord. Will he find us prepared when he returns? An old hymn written by Fanny Crosby reminds us to prepare our hearts for the Lord. When Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be noon or night, faithful to him, will he find us watching? Will our lamps all trimmed and bright? Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Deuteronomy 4.29, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. The bride prepares her heart for her bridegroom. She spends much time thinking about him and longs to be with him. We likewise need to prepare our hearts for the Lord. So we have preparation of the heart, and then we have preparation of... Four letter word. Ends with an F. Self. 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 The bride takes much care preparing herself for her wedding. Months ahead of the special day, she selects the perfect wedding dress. Which is two sizes smaller than what she is. probably. <laughs> Goes on <up>. a... <laughs> It doesn't say that here, and there's probably a good reason for that. (laughs) She picks out just the right veil, the right bouquet, the right jewelry. Her hair has to be just right. She takes extra care on her makeup. Every once in a while, a story about a bridezilla will appear on the news or surface on the Internet, a bride who literally goes berserk when something goes wrong with the last-minute preparations for the wedding. These stories are very funny, unless you're personally involved with them. As the bride of Christ, we need to prepare ourselves. Our lives ought to be pleasing to Him. We need to make sure we are living according to His will. We don't want to be ashamed when we see Him. 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Luke 12.40 Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Be prepared. If we are living in such a way that we would not be ashamed here, not ashamed were he to return, if he were to return at any moment. Our joy when seeing him will be great. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 19.7. So, yeah, I mean, it's really good for us to, th- I mean, we can grab a hold of those things, you know. Um, you know, a bride, she's looking forward to her, her wedding, and uh, she's preparing herself, and has got her whole mind focused on that. That's how we ought to be. So we preparation of heart, preparation of self. Number two starts with a P. simple word uh, to a form of that. Purity. Purity. The symbol of a white wedding dress is familiar, but important, the purity of the bride is set apart set apart for her husband. The Lord desires and expects purity from his bride as well. It is very important that the Lord, to the Lord that His people be clean and pure. Throughout the Old Testament, this truth is repeated. Ezra 6.20 records the reinstitution of the Passover with God's people who had come out of captivity. For the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Nehemiah 1230 tells of the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. In Psalm 51, David repented of his sin and pled with God for cleansing and purity. We talked about this this morning in Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse two, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, in verse 7. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, verse 10. So purity must be A, and I think this. once you get A, my guess is you will get B. So we'll do both. Outward. Outward. And... Outward, wedding guests usually stand as the bride enters the room. Never notice that. Honoring her as she makes her way to the altar and her waiting groom. All admire her beauty and grace in spotless white wedding dress. What would people think if she romped down the aisle wearing old dirty clothes with her messed up hair and popping bubble gum? (laughs) <laughs> it's probably happened. <laughs> Her outward appearance would be inappropriate for the occasion. Our outward appearance, our dress, speech, and actions need to be pure and honoring to the Lord. Here's an illustration. Mark 1, 40-41 gives an account of a leper who came to Jesus in desperation and told him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him I will be thou clean the man was pleading to be made clean and pure and without hesitation Jesus granted that request do we desire purity as much as that leper did leprosy is a bacterial infection which can destroy both nerves and tissues and result in various deformities this disease still exists in the modern world, according to the 2003 edition of Encyclopedia Britannica, reported cases of leprosy throughout the world numbered at least two million, and the actual number of infected persons may be as high as 11 million. The following passage gives it passage gives us an idea of the lifestyle of a leper who was forced was forced to leave. In Leviticus 13. through And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare. And he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean, he shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. In addition to the physical suffering itself, a leper had to live in this manner. No wonder the leper came to Jesus and beseeched him to be made clean. Leprosy is a picture of sin. Sin always manifests itself outwardly, eventually. As Christians, we need to honor God with our outward appearance. Some use the verse, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. To teach that the outward appearance is not important, that is twisting the scripture. Both inward and outward are important. It does matter how we dress, how we talk, and how we act. Just look at God's commands. You look uh, through the Levitical laws and the things that he commanded, and they they make no sense, but there, there was importance in how things were done from the outside. So there's an outward purity that is very important for the bride and for the Christian. But there's also the inward, as we've talked about, Outward purity can be faked for a time. It is possible to act and to look right for a while without being made right inside. Every West Coast Baptist College student looks right on the outside because the rules of the school require it and because those rules are enforced. The state of the heart, however, may be different. It is not always possible to determine the inner character by the outward appearance. But eventually the heart that is not right with God will be revealed. The truth will come out, good or bad. Our outward appearance is supposed to be clean and pure, but we must not just be satisfied with looking right. Looking right is no substitute for being right. May I remind you that Judas Iscariot was one of the disciples of Christ. He looked right. He went out and preached and ministered with the others. He saw the miracles of Jesus and heard his preaching and teaching. But he was even made the treasurer of the group. But the sinfulness of his heart and his surrender to Satan eventually came out and he betrayed the Lord and then died a miserable, messy suicide. James 4.8 says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Not only cleanse your hands, look right on the outside, but purify your hearts. Be right on the inside. That's why I think we, we have, in churches sometimes we have rules. <laughs> rules don't necessarily have to be scriptural. In a sense, Like we may say, you know, you should wear a tie like I should, like I rushed out and didn't have one. You know, if you're standing in a pulpit we could have a rule like that. That doesn't mean it's that's sinful or not sinful. It's just a rule. You know what rules do? When you give rules, you'll find out those who will follow it, just follow it are, are right. But those who aren't right will buck against rules. It's a good way of finding where hearts are, things will come out eventually. Proverbs four twenty-three: Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are what. Yeah, I know. All you all would know the end of that one. In Matthew fifteen eighteen through twenty: Jesus said, "Those things which proceed out of the mouth." Come forth from the heart and they defile the man for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Sincere outward purity is a result of genuine inward purity. You know, and I guess that's what I was getting at when we talk about standards and things. You know, standards are a heart thing. Standards are things that we want to increase in. They're not to be compared to, though we may see somebody who has a certain standard or has adopted a standard in their life. We ought to look at it and say, hmm, is that that a good thing for me? It's not a comparison. It's not to be looked at. We are to increase our standards as our heart becomes more desirous to be pleasing to God. Alright, so we have Preparation, we have Purity, and, patience. <laughs> very good, you are following along very well, Patience. Patience is an essential virtue for a bride as the engagement period normally lasts several months. Here's another illustration. A friend of mine had refused to allow his daughters to marry until both the daughter and the fiance have graduated from college. Both young people understand that he he has their best interests at heart and have respected his wishes, but the waiting surely is an exercise in patience. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Galatians 5, through 23. This word means patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance. I've often heard great leaders say that the three greatest abilities are availability, dependability, and stickability. <laughs> we need to have that quality of stickability for the Lord. Romans 2, 6 through 7. God will render to every man according to his deeds. Verse 7, To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality eternal life. Patient continuance and well-doing, it says. Galatians 6, 8-9, through nine, He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Patience. The bride is to be patient as she prepares and looks forward to the wedding. We as believers need to be patient as we live for the Lord and wait for His coming. So, A, in waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. We wait in patient expectation of Christ's second coming. James 5, 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Boy, these are very encouraging things, uh, especially when we go through difficulties. To keep our eye on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We almost. We also must patiently wait for the Lord to do his work in situations we are tempted to think he is taking too long. Many times we have a will for God's life and we believe we know exactly what he should do. But his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts in Isaiah 55.9. That was brought up today too. The Lord does not have to work on our timetable or our schedule. He does not need to do things the way we think they ought to be done. When we wait on him, we learn that his way is far better than ours. Now, pretty much of this is underlined by Tim as he was preparing for this. When you think of what he's going through right now. You know, I believe the Lord probably spoke to his heart about how he's, he's working through some, some things. Second Kings 5, 1-14 through 14 relates the story of Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, who was stricken with leprosy, when Elisha sent him a message to wash in Jordan seven times, and thou shalt be clean. Naaman grew angry, didn't he? He thought that Elisha would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He almost missed being healed because it was not done the way he thought it should have been done. God's way maybe wasn't as dramatic as the way Naaman would have chosen, but it worked. As a result, God rather than Naaman got the glory. In John 11, we read the story of Lazarus who who was sick. His sisters went, sent word to Jesus asking him to come. Jesus could have come as the sisters had requested, but he stayed right where he was for two more days. When he finally arrived, Lazarus was dead. And as far as the sisters were concerned, Jesus was too late. They both told him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. You know the rest of the story. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus did not do what Mary and Martha thought he should have done. But in the end, he did exactly what was right. Waiting for the Lord to work in our lives is frequently more difficult than taking matters into our own hands, we often are tempted to say, let's do something, even if it's wrong. Inaction in times of stress and crisis goes against our nature, but we have to realize that our nature often goes against God. Jesus in Gethsemane told his disciples, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. They couldn't wait and watch. They gave up. And fell asleep as Christ told his disciples to tarry and wait. Sometimes we need to be patient and wait. The psalmist, psalmist says in Psalms twenty-seven fourteen, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we have patience and waiting for Christ. And we have patience. Toward. All men, (laughs) correct. You haven't noticed, the Follett's Rule, I get these blanks, they're really good. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Patience with people is not something that comes easily. We hate waiting, whether for the checkout line, congested traffic, or a table at a restaurant. We hate waiting for people. Yes, schedules are a good thing, but we ought not to feel that our time is more important than anyone else's time. James 4.14 reminds us, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Ministering to other people is one reason that God has placed us in this world instead of taking us home. And yet many times we are so busy that we run right by other people. We rejoice that God is so patient with us, don't we? We also appreciate when other people are patient with us. However, we often struggle when we need to be patient with others. We have a hard time being patient when people mistreat us. We need to remember the words of Christ, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We also had a hard time being patient when we are misunderstood. 1 Peter two nineteen through 20, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Finally, we have a hard time being patient when it comes to being willing to stop and listen to others. Yeah, I think a lot of witnessing. I think we kind of get a hold of that. Just respecting, I just really listening. Listening to their story. And I think just asking a lot of questions. By them answering those questions, you're, they're giving themselves the gospel. <laughs> James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then we have a C here, this one. In what? Tribulation. Tribulation. Romans 12.12 Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. To be patient in tribulation according to strong means under misfortunes and trials to hold fast to one's faith in Christ. Revelation 14.12 Here is the patient of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Job, some examples. God especially pointed out Job as the godliest man in the whole world. To Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job that there is... None like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. God permitted Satan to take away just about everything Job had except for his life, and Job said, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's faithfulness was tested, but he kept the faith during his trial and tribulations. Joseph, sold as a slave into Egypt by his own brothers. Joseph, after being falsely accused, was thrown into jail. In every situation, Joseph remained faithful. God used him to preserve his family and the lineage of Christ. Joseph said to his brothers, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Paul, familiar with frequent, intense tribulation, Paul faithfully continued in ministry. He summarized the obstacles he faced and the burdens he carried. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23-28. And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths off. Of the Jews, five times I re- received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered trip- shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, and journeying often in perils of waters, and perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Patience is what enabled Paul to preserve and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3:14. Patience and tribulation reveals a dependence on God. Remember that He is in control all the way through. So the conclusion, what a privilege we have to be the bride of Christ. With such a privilege, we should prepare diligently for His return. Ask Him to search your heart and life for any impurity that is displeasing and dishonoring to Him. Wait patiently for Him to unfold His plan for your life through even unpleasant situations. Most of all, look expectantly for his return. And we'll end our message there. Father, thank you for just who you are. Help us to learn and understand you even more and how great you are. We will see us for who we are. We will see you as see ourselves as you have made us and that you're perfect and that we just need to search your perfect will for the life that you've given us Uh, we need to look uh, for your coming we need to endure uh, tribulations and trials and the difficulties of life because of sin in this world help us to hate sin help us to just want to be pure before you and to live before you, and to just love one another, especially the brethren, and to love this world you came to give your life for this world. What a thought to think of coming into humanity. Humanity is such a difficult place. It's an evil place we live in and full of sin and difficulties. And you came to save those, to to provide salvation for all. And so may we steward that salvation properly. May we tell others about Christ. May we care for Him. But it's all going to come from the heart. May our hearts be changed to really see people for who they are, to love them, to get the gospel out and uh, to show Christ's love while we have this time, this short time on earth. For we ask it all in Jesus' name.